SCP-6800 The White Ashes How far will the Foundation go to protect humanity? The answer, as I'm sure you can guess if you've read enough SCPs, is as far as it takes. In the SCP universe, the wolves are continually at the world's door, and the SCP Foundation are often the only ones standing there to guard it. Desperate times often call for desperate measures, however, and the Foundation will cast aside whatever morals or principles it has to in order to keep things afloat. Obviously, I bring this all up because SCP-6800 concerns a very disastrous scenario. But the real horror here is not in the scenario itself, but in how it started and how it will end. SCP-6800 is known as Pignite, a metal-like substance comprised of unknown and irrelevant organic matter. That's already pretty notable, as not only is the metal made out of organic matter, and not only does the Foundation claim that they don't know what that matter comes from, but they consider it irrelevant. Pignite is molecularly similar to pig iron, or crude iron, an intermediate product during the production of steel, but it's dramatically more durable. It also radiates a considerable amount of heat when idle, generating 30 to 34,000 BTUs per second per instance. This heat can be safely siphoned off using the Banu Musa siphoning technique. Another notable anomaly associated with the metal is that it frequently produces auditory hallucinations when in the presence of other individuals or other instances of the metal. This auditory stimulus is a fabrication, as the metal does not display any behaviors that would otherwise indicate sentience or sapience. A connected anomaly is SCP-6800-1, which is a blizzard currently occupying the Amazon rainforest. Unknown circumstances have caused this blizzard to expand exponentially over the course of 12 days, with the source of this expansion being currently under investigation. The document then ticks down, starting with day 10, containing the description of Pignite, down to day 1. Day 9 features a holy writ from a Maxwellist sect located within northern New Jersey. Maxwellism is a sect of the Church of the Broken God that believes that their god is fragmented across the digital world. By connecting all human minds through computer networks, they believe that their deity can be recompiled as the aggregate will of humanity. They're essentially the most modern form of broken god belief systems, but they have no central organizing body. The document welcomes the reader as a pig farmer, and goes into a story related to a broken god disciple, Hedwig, and her interaction with the broken god, whom the Maxwellists refer to as Wan. I'll read the story excerpts out in their entirety. Hedwig gazed into the source and wept at its beauty. She thought to touch it, if only to feel the warmth of Wan for the briefest of moments. She knew better, though, and stayed her hand. It was then that Wan spoke to her through the source, and she basked in its radiance. Come forth, 
my loyal disciple, and hear my command. I have learned of a metal that can withstand my holiness, it said. Tell me more of this holy material, Owen, Hedwig cried into the source, almost overtaken by its radiance. It was then that a thing with an unspoken name emerged from the brush. It stared at Hedwig, who stared back with confusion polluting her thoughts. She thought, was this a sign, Lord? Wan, in its benevolence, spoke to Hedwig once more. It said, do as I will, and smite this insignificant creature. Its existence has defied me, and from its blood I shall be made whole. This is my will, Saint Hedwig. Hedwig drew her blade from its sheath and faced the menace that had no name. The creature put its hands together and dropped to its knees, a false display of surrender. But Hedwig was not so easily fooled by falsehoods. The saint rushed the creature. The creature fled with Hedwig in pursuit. They ran for a day and a night, stopping only once they left the forest and took their place on a cliff. Stop this, Hedwig shouted. Thunderous rains brewed in the skies above, a signal that Wan was watching. Hedwig's sword hand gripped tighter. The creature continued to step toward the cliff's edge. I have done you no wrong, servant of Wan, the creature claimed. But when it raised its palms to Hedwig, she could tell that the thing was riddled with deceit. It was Wan's desire to be rid of the foul beast, and so it shall be done. Hedwig leaped at the creature, and it let out a foul shriek. The thing ducked and weaved, narrowly evading Hedwig's blade. When it moved, it moved as if it knew where the mighty saint would strike, making it nigh impossible for Hedwig to land the fatal blow. Hedwig fought the creature for two days without rest. Her mechanical heart and synthetic muscles never failed her. She wore it down, and after slicing into the thing's ligaments, brought the beast to its knees. Ha! Beast, you are defeated! Lay down your life for the revival of my lord! Hedwig shouted as she kept the creature at the edge of her sword. But the creature had fight in it still. It stared into Hedwig's eyes and bore a mischievous grin. It said, Hark, you have beaten me in combat, but can you defeat me in a game of wit? Enough of your trickery. I shall slay you right now, said Hedwig as she raised her blade to meet the creature's neck. Her foe raised both of its hands and said, What honor is there in slaying a foe that cannot defend herself? Hear me, and should you best me in this match of wit... I will lay down my life for you and your lord. Hedwig thought for a moment. Surely Wan would understand her decision to do the honorable thing. After another moment of contemplation, Hedwig lowered her weapon and asked, Pray tell, what game do you suggest? A simple game of names. If you win, I shall lay here and die with honor. You may take my head to your master and be done with it. But if I win, you shall leave me be. So be it, Hedwig said. 
She sat down across from the thing and waited. Your hand, please, it said. And so Hedwig held out her hand, and the creature drew blood from it without wounding the saint. It then said to her, We will ask each other questions, and we must answer truthfully. Should either of us catch the other in a lie, the liar will be declared the loser. And if I refuse to continue, Hedwig asked, You are bound to this game by blood, saint. If you withdraw, you will lose by default. Hedwig thought hard for a moment about slaying the creature where it stood, but soon realized that, breaking the rules set forth by it, ludicrous as they were, would besmirch her honor. Instead, she agreed, and the game began. I shall ask the first question, said the thing. Why do you wish to slay me? Hedwig thought for a moment and answered, I am honor-bound by Wan to complete this task. Let me ask you this. Why did you flee from me when we first met? The creature laughed at the question. Because you were trying to kill me, would you have not done the same? I would have, I suppose. If it was Wan's will, she said. Do you understand why I must slay you? I do not, said the creature. Its eyes were now on Hedwig's blade. What is your name? I know of your tricks, beast. You will not find success here. Hedwig stood and snatched her sword from the earth. She pointed it at the beast. It smiled. You must answer the question, saint lest you lose yourself to the rules of the game. Hedwig stood frozen as fear gripped her heart. The creature threw its head back and howled into the night sky while it waited. She dropped to her knees and begged for Wan to provide her with answers. And so it did. My name is Eckhart, Hedwig said. You cannot give a stolen name, the creature hissed. This was never specified. I have followed your rules, and now I ask for your name. When the creature gave Hedwig a false name, she added it to her own. The game concluded, and Hedwig removed the beast's head swiftly. She took it back to the source and presented it to Wan. You have done well, Saint Hedwig. Wan spoke in all its radiance. Now cast it into the forge, and create pignite from the blood of the fallen. Do this, and no glory. Do this, and no joy. Do this, and forever no warmth and protection and justice in the name of Wan. And so St. Hedwig cast the head and body of the beast into the forge, and from the molten metals a new material was formed. She basked in its glow and presented it to her followers who did the same. Now go forth, Hedwig shouted, and bring me the blood of the ones Wan needs to become whole. It is the will of our Lord, and so it must be done. It was then that Wan spoke to the congregation one final time. I shall be made whole. So, this is a piece of Maxwellist scripture. 
a part of their belief system, in which a saint is commanded by the broken god to slay these creatures, and from their bodies make pignite, which they believe will restore their god. The creatures, if you hadn't caught on by now, are the fae, the fairies, most notably associated with SCP-4000, who are capable of stealing a person's name and thus their identity. The organic material found in Pignite, then, are fairy remains, and the Maxwellists are slaughtering fairies for this process. The document moves on to an email from 05-7 to the rest of the 05 Council, along with the administrator, concerning the snowstorm going on in the Amazon rainforest. Seven acknowledges that normally this could be easily explained by something like climate change, but this isn't normal precipitation, as it's spreading. What's more, things in the area are freezing at an exponential rate, including a local tribe that were found frozen to death within hours of being exposed, and several of their bodies were in advanced stages of decomposition. The Foundation parameteorologist took some samples, but the data has so far proven inconclusive. They're currently considering SCP classification, and 057 wants the others to share any information they might have on the phenomenon. He knows there are some among them who would withhold information for their own benefit, but they need to work together for the sake of normalcy. 057 signs off the email as J. Bright, so it seems that Dr. Bright made it onto the council in this timeline. He's also the one currently accessing this document. 052 responded to Bright and stated, This is a minor concern at best, which can be easily explained by non-anomalous climate change. The people of the Amazon, as well as the flora and fauna therein, are likely more susceptible to the sudden introduction of snow to their environment than others, which are used to fluctuations in temperature. They are surprised that Bright didn't think of this before bringing it to the council and the administrator, and he should consider his new position before continuing to waste their time in the future. Another O5, however, responds and writes that this change is much too drastic in too short amount of time to be written off as climate change. It's their job to investigate the anomalous, and this onset of snow is clearly anomalous. He'll have a team of parameteorologists investigate potential causes, and asks why O5-2 is protesting this since the Foundation has more than enough funds to investigate a potential K-class scenario brewing in the Amazon. 052 responds that they should consider how many other containment protocols are directly affected by an unnecessary expenditure of funds, mentioning that SCP-4456 is bleeding them dry as it is a 16th century galleon that continually appears and becomes hostile unless supplied with $519,000 in gold, silver, or gemstones. They can't afford to waste more money on something they aren't even sure is anomalous or not when they have wars to fight and literal gods to contain, entities that can and will exterminate them at the earliest convenience 
should they lapse in their security for the briefest of moments. This is a risk they simply cannot afford to take until they know for certain that the snow is not the result of some natural phenomenon. Bright responds that they'll perform the investigations themselves if they must, and he'll call a vote. 052 emails again, however, and says that there may be no need for such drastic action, as he has received intel that there have been Maxwellist sightings in the land within the grotto, SCP-4000. He suspects there may be a possible link between their presence in that place and the sudden snowstorm in the Amazon, so he's now in favor of a vote to determine their course of action. The administrator then finally weighs in, however, saying that a vote will not be necessary. They will study the Maxwellis activity and then decide on a course of action accordingly. There is not enough evidence to link the two events to one another, and until there is, no one will do anything. The Maxwellis are not currently breaking the veil, which means they are at least attempting to conserve normalcy. As far as the Foundation is concerned, the Maxwellists are not a threat at this time, and there will be no further discussion of this. Hmm. The Council is normally fairly divided on a number of issues, but there seems to be some sort of underlying mystery here that is being left unsaid by some of the individuals. The next section of the document is a journal recovered from SCP-4000 after nuclear fallout deteriorated enough to once again allow for safe exploration. In other words, someone nuked the fairies, for reasons not yet made clear. As usual, in order to further pad out the length of this video, I'll read this journal verbatim. It snowed today in the only land I can call home. It never snows here, not since the war. Mother says that's a bad sign, but nothing's going wrong as far as I can tell. I've asked her what she meant, but she said I just have to keep my head down and my mouth shut. It's for your own safety. What a farce. Something is definitely up, and not a single fay is telling me. Is it because I'm young? Or maybe it's because I've never stolen a name. I don't know. Father says that tough times are coming and that Wan is seeking something. Some kind of metal made from pigs? I didn't understand, but at least it's something to go on. I tried to ask old man Java about the pig iron thing, but he wouldn't tell me much either. He was boarding up his shed... I guess he was trying to tie it to this place with a bunch of names he made up and magic wood that he cut down. I don't think it works that way, but whatever makes him happy, I guess. I helped him as best as I could, but for the most part I sat on a tree stump and just watched him work. He says I shouldn't feel bad, but I still do. I don't like being so useless. I wonder if Drama thinks I'm useless... By the gods, I hope not. I'm to meet with her later today over by the Sunset Lake. We're going to play stones for the first time since we were babies. I wonder if I can still skip a rock to the other side and back in one go. 
Guess we'll find out tonight. Maybe I'll get a chance to ask her how she feels about me. Or maybe I'll just tell her that kiss we shared the other day meant a lot more to me than I let on. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, and one last thing. I saw a man made of metal today, but he fled through the well before I could talk to him. How odd. Drayma had to sneak out of her cottage because her folks wouldn't let her out. They're freaking out too. If the adults were that concerned, they'd let us kids know what the heck is going on. Old man Java was talking to father when I left. Said something about the second war. I tried to eavesdrop on them, but father saw me hiding in a tree and sent me on my way. Drayma was teasing me when we got to the lake, called me trash and rock sinker. But it turns out I can still skip rocks all sorts of ways on that lake. We made a game of it, like always, but this time we had stakes. Drayma bet me her lucky sword. She lost after the third throw. Shows her for making fun of me. And good thing, too, because... I didn't have anything else to offer if I lost. We stayed there for hours after the game, just talking and staring at the stars. It was really nice. I wish we did this more often. I tried talking to her about my feelings, but I couldn't get the words out. She kept looking at me, though, so maybe there's still a chance. Not like I could find out anyway. It got dark and we had to get back before the unkind neighbors started walking around the path back. We held hands till we came by the fork in the road and parted ways. For safety, of course. At least that's what I told her. My heart nearly leaped out of my chest on that walk. Mom was mad at me for staying out so late. It's not like I was in danger or anything. The unkind neighbors don't hang out by the lake at night anyway, and neither me or Drayma know enough word magic to accidentally switch names. Well, I know how to steal a name, but that's beside the point. She's being irrational. Saw the metal man again today. He looked like someone from the other side of the well, but different had metal plates all over his face with red lights for eyes and bolts that shook in place whenever he walked. Said his name was Eckhart, which was odd because it sounded like one of the made-up names Old Man Java used on his cottage. I know that isn't his actual name, but how would he know to use an imaginary one? Eckhart is nice enough. We talked about names for a really long time, and he was asking all sorts of questions about our culture. I told him what I knew, which isn't much, and he seemed to be content with my answers. He started asking if I knew who Wan was, and I told him nothing except for what father told me. That disappointed him, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me that everything was going to be alright by tomorrow. I showed him the lake and how to skip rocks, but he wasn't super into it. He asked if I knew what a pig was. 
another weird question, but I told them that I did and that my grandfather used to have a pig farm. Apparently those weren't the type of pigs he was talking about. After he left, father found out I was hanging out with him from old man Java. Now I'm forbidden from leaving the cottage until it's safe again, however long that is. Whatever. Eckhart's kind of condescending anyway. Suppose I won't be missing much. Well, except for Drama, of course. Screw it. I'm telling her how I feel tomorrow, no matter what. No more cowardice, no more getting tongue-tied, staring at those gorgeous eyes. This is written proof of your commitment to yourself. I don't want to go another day without her knowing. I want to be with you, Drama. Drama was murdered last night. I went over by her home today, and her mother told me that someone chopped her up and threw her body into a furnace last night while she was away. She only knew it was Drama because the murderer f- forgot to incinerate her hand, which still had a tattoo on it. There was iron residue left outside her back door, and a clump of iron. Found that out after I touched it, and it burned my hand. Someone wanted to send a message, but who or why is beyond us. I'm attending Drama's funeral later, with mother and father. Eckhart came by again today, and I told him what happened. Father blamed him for Drama's death, but he wasn't even here when it happened. I saw him leave through the well. Can't say I'm not completely removing my suspicions of him, though. Until I know for sure that she didn't meet her end at the hand of an unkind neighbor, everyone is a suspect. Old Man Java thinks that it was one of the unkind neighbors, or the people in white coats trying their experiments again, but I haven't seen those ones in a real long time. Someone else went missing today. Same way that Drama went. Fire, white ash, lump of iron. There were more metal men like Eckhart rummaging around today. I'm scared. Mother is dead. Eckhart, or the one who used to have that name, killed her. The metal men stormed the forest where names are not allowed with guns and flaming swords. They're rounding everyone up in groups and forcing them into these giant furnaces. The sky is white now, like it's snowing. The one I knew as Eckhart broke into our cottage and slaughtered my mother scorched the flesh on her arms with his iron sword and ripped her head off with his bare hands. I hardly recognized him as the same man I saw all those nights ago. He was different. Feral. Father dragged me while I was frozen, and we fled to old man Java's place while he was... killing mother. I tried to help, too. I only managed to steal his name, but... I'm so fucking useless. 
I still hear her screaming when I close my eyes. We're hiding beneath old man Java's cottage now. He's got one of those drawers that are bigger on the inside than they could ever be on the outside. They haven't found us yet. Why is this happening? As expected then, the Maxwellists are following their scripture and butchering the fairies, turning them into pignite, which seems to cause anomalous snowfall in the area. For good measure, they even went ahead and nuked SCP-4000, just to make sure every fairy left inside of it was well and truly dead. That being said, research is still the Foundation's best weapon, so a number of tests were performed on the pignite substance to help understand it and to see if it possesses any practical applications. A researcher put in charge of the project wove fragments of the metal into a Foundation deep-sea diving suit before taking it into the Pacific Ocean. Despite the cold temperature of the water, the researcher was able to maintain his baseline body heat and return safely. He notes that the pignite seems useful for keeping warm, especially good if the blizzard continues to spread and it's a shame they couldn't get this to the people in the Amazon in time. Other tests were done to check its durability, utilizing a hammer, an axe, 9mm ballistic rounds, acid, and some redacted tools, finding it to be impervious to most durability tests. It is, however, for some unknown reason, susceptible to being ground up, so a further test was performed in which pignite was ground into a fine powder, and then melted and poured into bullet casts. They were then loaded into a 9mm pistol and fired into training dummies, upon which point the bullets emit cries suggesting agony. The researcher then collected several instances of pignite and spent several hours trying to communicate with them, he eventually was able to transcribe several phrases, including help me, change form, fire, where is Eckhart, Wan is dead, and I am Drama. The researcher notes that while the instances appear sentient, he doesn't think they're alive in any traditional sense but rather echoes of memories from their past lives. He performed another test in which he held up several flashcards depicting various colored polygons to see if the entities are capable of sensing anything. The results, however, were redacted per overseer order, which is a lot more telling than just saying the test failed. In another test, to see if the entities would converse with one another, a number of pignite instances were placed in a room together with a recording device. After eight hours, however, the test was concluded, as it didn't seem that any of the instances communicated with one another. Upon retrieval, however, all of the instances were found covered in water, despite there being no condensation present within the chamber. To then test to see if they retain the fairy's power over names, the researcher provided a false name for himself to one of the instances, which caused it to vibrate briefly before breaking into smaller pieces. 
Another test had to be done then, with a real name. So a D-Class was brought in and told to state her name to the piece of metal, which sounds like just another day for a D-Class in the Foundation. Upon doing so, the D-Class experienced extreme cranial pain for several seconds before she began assaulting the researcher, managing to kill him before MTF agents terminated her. The overall results are a little inconclusive, but it's safe to say that the fairies are still in those pieces of metal to some degree. The next section of the document is a video log taken from various CCTVs positioned throughout Rutherford, New Jersey. It's snowing in the town, with no cars present on the road, and lights are seen flickering on the street before powering off. A deer sifts through the snow before a loud snap is heard, and it flees. Three fairies are then seen emerging from an alleyway, one carrying a sword-like weapon on their back, and one that walks with a slight limp. They are all wearing hoods and begin walking down the street. Several Maxwellis patrol the street, but do not notice them. Shortly after, however, a Maxwellist bumps into one of the fairies, knocking them to the ground. Their hood falls off and reveals an emaciated and wrinkled face, their facial expression suggesting extreme fear. They are helped to their feet by the others and quickly walk away from the Maxwellist, but the Maxwellist begins touching his temple. Thanks to implants that allow for telepathic communication, the other Maxwellists in the area cease their activities and begin walking towards the fairies. The one carrying the sword reaches for it, but does not unsheath it, as more Maxwellists emerge from various buildings in the area, following the group. Eventually, the fairies are surrounded, and the one draws their sword. Before a conflict breaks out, however, the leader of the Maxwellists steps forward, St. Hedwig herself. Her cape is covered in more snow than would be possible with the current rate of snowfall, and she is carrying a hammer in her hand. She begins conversing with the fairies, although the dialogue is not heard. One of the fairies removes their hood, showing unkempt hair, several scars on their face, and one eye missing. Judging by the body language, the two groups are arguing, but Hedwig keeps the other approaching Maxwellis at bay, as the one fairy lowers her sword. They continue conversing for several minutes, before the fairies abruptly step back, and Hedwig brings her thumb across her throat. The Maxwellis converge on the fairies, who manage to break free and flee, although there's a large quantity of blood left behind, and the right arm of one of the fairies has been severed. One of the Maxwellis presents the arm to Hedwig, who recites a ritual before biting into her hand. She pours her blood over the arm, causing it to combust and emit white smoke. Once the fire dies down, a piece of pignite is seen where the arm was, which Hedwig pockets. The three fairies run into the local morgue, as the wounded one tries to inscribe some runes with his blood, but he falls over before completing them. The youngest fairy bites her index finger and completes the runes herself. 
The runes seem to prevent the Maxwellis from entering the building, and not even Hedwig is able to breach the door or windows. She then alerts Foundation agents about the situation, who arrive and manage to breach the morgue using various forms of occult rituals. Multiple gunshots are heard inside the building, and all three of the fairies are successfully detained. Well, we learned several things from that log. One is that the blizzard has spread all the way from the Amazon up to New Jersey, which means that it covers a significant portion of the planet. What's more surprising, however, is that the Foundation is now working with the Maxwellis, who seem to have started this whole predicament. The next section of the document reveals even more, however, as the Foundation is now actively working to create more of the pignite substance in order to create renewable heat sources to stave off the cold. A grant request put forth states that a large portion of the Pacific Ocean has frozen at depths of three kilometers below the surface, and every ecosystem on the planet has been drastically affected. Parameteorologists theorize that the snowstorm is growing well beyond what was initially expected, and there's no obvious methods to dispel it. Prometheus Labs parameteorologists estimate that by the year 2030, the blizzard will encompass the entire world, and all life on Earth will cease. The Foundation acknowledges that the Maxwellis were responsible for starting this, but there's no stopping it now. Rather, they need to look to the techniques the Maxwellis have been using to create Pignite, and improve them. Using their current techniques, 13% of the Fey body is converted into Pignite, but Prometheus Labs hopes to improve that to a minimum of 60%. The document states that the Fey population is a non-renewable resource, and should be utilized to the greatest extent possible while there are still nameless individuals left to process. It turns out that performing vivisections on a fairy allow their bodies to regenerate parts that can be harvested at a later date. Additionally, the Foundation has access to an SCP that can easily grow attachable body parts, which end up having the same properties as the rest of the fairy once attached. A combination of vivisections, body regeneration, and human ingenuity will allow for magnitudes of pignite to be harvested from a single fey. The request is coming from Prometheus Labs to the Foundation, asking for a loan of $1 million to start up their pignite refining plan. They estimate that the sale of refined pignite across the globe would net them a minimum of $400 billion, as crumbling civilizations will be desperate for such a renewable heat source. They do note that their main issue is actually finding fairies to harvest. Following the Maxwellist efforts in SCP-4000, the Fey folk have gone into hiding in mass and their proficiency with name magic makes an intelligent fairy difficult to distinguish from an average human. This will, unfortunately, result in some accidental harvestings, but this can be mitigated by exposing each subject to iron prior to harvesting, which is of course painfully harmful to fairies. 
They also note that Pig Knight in its unrefined form is unusually loud at all times, and the refinement process they're proposing nearly doubles the decibels a standard ingot emits. The primary concern though, of course, are the moral concerns, as they would be effectively torturing Faye across the globe for weeks, or until they've extracted all the pignite they could from them. This is not a job for the faint of heart, nor those that are easily disturbed. With all that horribleness in mind, let's take a brief look back at the start of the document to check out the current containment procedures. It states that auditory phrases emitted from Pignite are false, and anyone caught listening to Pignite for extended periods of time are to be executed, with no exceptions. There will no longer be any intervention against the Maxwellis in order to maintain neutrality with the surviving city-states, and fairies seeking asylum within the Foundation-occupied safe zones are to be turned away. Interaction with them is strictly forbidden, and those discovered harboring fairies are to be terminated and converted into biofuel for the production of pignite. The remaining public have been informed of the anomalous and the dangers of name magic to dissuade civilian interaction with fairies. Pignite is to be manufactured until the resources used for its production become unavailable with St. Hedwig to oversee production unimpeded. Efforts to obstruct the manufacturing of Pignite will be met with public termination in order to deter future acts of terrorism. Objections to this policy are considered acts of treason, and offenders will be exposed to the blizzard in a ritualistic sacrifice performed by Foundation-certified occultists and approved admins. The blizzard has reached global mass now, and is considered uncontainable. So yeah, it's a pretty dark timeline at this point. The document continues with an interview between O5-7, Dr. Bright, and a captured fairy. Bright begins by formally apologizing, but the fairy interrupts him by crying softly into her hands. Bright scratches the back of his neck before looking at his own hands, which are shaking. He then removes a flask from his pocket and drinks from it before offering it to her, telling her that the world is screwed, and they're all going to die unless they take measures to prevent that. He's trying to tell her that he can save the few of them that are left. The fairy takes the flask and throws it against the wall, asking what good is an apology from him. Her people are dead, her friends and family and everyone she's ever cared about. Bright says that she can't blame that on them, as they didn't do anything. She begins crying again, hitting the table before standing and pacing back and forth for several minutes, before telling Bright that she knows. She hits the table again, her fist now covered in blood, and says that when the machine men brought their fires into her home, the Foundation did nothing. They knew about SCP-4000 and about the well, but they did nothing for the fairies, 
and now they want to apologize. She's been on the run with the only family she has left for seven days, so what good is an apology now that everyone's dead? She continues pacing back and forth, her eyes bloodshot and her hand bleeding. It seems that this is the sword-wielding fairy that was captured along with the other two older ones, the same fairy that wrote the journal entry earlier. She then asks after old man Java and her father, asking if they've been harvested already. Bright doesn't respond, confirming her suspicion, and he apologizes again. He says that their planet is experiencing a potential extinction-level event. The snowstorm is growing bigger than they could ever hope to contain, and civilization as they know it is falling apart. Everyone on Earth would have died if measures weren't taken. The fairy asks about her planet, however, as they seem willing to sacrifice her entire race to save their own. She asks who they are to decide who gets to live and who doesn't. Bright just responds that their people are already almost extinct, thanks to the Maxwellis, with estimates showing that the entire Fae population will be exterminated within the week. But he can keep her safe, as her and her culture can survive this genocide. He just wants to keep her and her friends and family safe, as they've committed horrible atrocities in the name of the greater good, and he can't deal with that. He doesn't know how anyone can be okay with what they've done and what they're doing, but he wants to make sure she lives long enough to see the end of it all. She thinks he's lying, and asks what if she declines. Bright responds that he'd rather not think about that, begging her to let him do this, and asking her where the rest of her kind is so he can save her. She puts her head in her hands for several minutes, sniffling, before eventually saying that she'll do it, under one condition. She wants to play a game with him. She says it's an old game, one her and her friend Drema used to play before they knew how the rules really worked. She just wants to play it one last time. She asks for Bright's hand and grabs his wrist, preventing him from pulling away. A small amount of blood collects around her hand and Bright winces before she lets go. She tells him that he agreed to play the game, so the rules have been set. They each ask questions until one of them catches the other in a lie, at which point that person loses. Also, if Bright walks away or calls security, he loses. She goes first, asking him why he brought her here. He responds that it was for her protection and to find the rest of the Fae, and asks her why she wants to know. She says that she wanted to see if he was as devious as the rest of her kind. Bright says that he's an O5, someone she should trust most out of anyone in the Foundation. She then asks why wasn't he there when the Metal Men attacked SCP-4000, to which Bright answers that they were a low priority at the time, and they had other things to deal with. The Maxwellists weren't breaking the veil of secrecy, and so he and a few others were outvoted. She says that he let her people get slaughtered 
because of a vote, and then asks one last question. What is his name? Bright hesitates before answering, Eckhart, which she says sounds an awful lot like a stolen name to her. Bright is about to say that he didn't lie, but she cuts him off and says that he did, which makes him the loser. Both the fairy and Bright suddenly grab the sides of their heads, and then the fairy looks at her hands and her eyes widen. Bright then hits the emergency button and two agents swiftly enter the room. Bright tells them to take the shot, as the fairy tries to protest and state her name, but she is cut off by gunfire. Bright tells her that her apology is accepted, and the log ends. Unfortunately, Bright was caught in a very unfortunate situation, and should have been far more cautious than he was. Either way, he was going to lose that game, and the fairy was capable of stealing his name and identity, swapping the two. With the fairy now in Bright's body, she quickly set about eliminating Bright in the fairy's body, and now has a seat on the Foundation Council. Of course, this fact would be immediately evident to anyone examining the footage, but it's no issue at all for an O5 to remove such things. The document continues with a notice from the Foundation that was broadcast to all available television and radio stations. The message states that, as the people are most likely aware, the snowstorm that originated in the Amazon has now covered the vast majority of the Earth's surface. There is nothing more the Foundation can do about this, save for continuing to harvest pignite and make the most of the material while it's still available to them. The message says that there is magic in the world, and the Foundation can no longer keep this a secret, as they have decided that leaving them in the dark could potentially spell the end for civilization as we know it. Those of them caught in contempt of the Foundation's efforts to save the world will be exposed to the blizzard and left to fall victim to the elements. Those of them found harboring raw or unprocessed pignite will be considered traitors and subjected to the same fate. This is their only warning. Finally, we have the last section of the document, which starts with two votes from the O5 Council. The first proposal is to remain a neutral power in the wake of the new civilization. This vote ends up being accepted, with the faux bright abstaining from voting. The second proposal is to assist in Maxwellist efforts to harvest the fey folk for the foreseeable future, which also passes, although bright, along with a few others, vote nay. The document ends with a message written by O5-7, the fairy masquerading as Bright. It reads, I'm writing this in case I'm ever found out. Someone will know my story, and perhaps they can continue where I've left off. My name is Jack Bright, or at least it is now. It was once Eckhart, and before that, it was something different, but that doesn't matter now. I am a member of the Foundation's O5 Council, 
and the last of my kind left as far as the rest of the world is concerned. If there are others hiding amongst us, I cannot say. Probably better that way. The Maxwellists were, for lack of better words, unsuccessful in bringing their god to this world. My people were slaughtered and turned to iron for nothing. The ashes that fell from the sky blanketed the earth and covered the guilty with the weight of their sins. The foundation, complacent throughout it all, is now humanity's best hope against the frozen hell brought upon them by those zealots. Ironic, isn't it? It's my duty now to protect what's left of your kind, lest you figure out who I truly am. And by that point, it would be too late for you to do much of anything anyway. As far as you're likely concerned, I am a god in this new world. Do you see me from the stars above, father? Mother? Even old man Java would be proud of me. You can rest easy now that I have the power to do right by us. And I will do right by us. No matter how long it takes. And to you, Drema. May you rest easy now. I cannot join you in the afterlife. Not yet. I've got work to do. So, to summarize, the Maxwellist sect of the Church of the Broken God came to believe that by slaughtering fairies and converting them into metal, they can use this product to restore their deity. They set about this task by marching in mass into the last home of the fairies, SCP-4000, and killed everyone there they could get their hands on, converting them into pignite. The fairies, in their death, are for some reason capable of generating water, and together this mass murder created an anomalous snowstorm, which originated in the Amazon. The Foundation knew that the Maxwellists were heading into SCP-4000, but decided that since they weren't doing anything in there that would break the precious veil of secrecy surrounding the anomalous, they'd just let things be. Once it became clear that there was no stopping this anomalous snowstorm, which is cold enough to flash freeze everything it touches, the Foundation decided to pay a little bit more interest. Unfortunately, Messing with the Maxwellis now would do nothing to stop the snowstorm, and in fact, their only hope in keeping people alive is through anomalous sources of heat, namely pignite. This means that the fairies were slaughtered needlessly, which started this whole thing, and now they're being slaughtered and tortured to keep humans alive. One fairy, however, managed to trick her way onto the O5 Council, where she's hoping to do whatever she can to keep whatever fairy she can alive and well, for however long that takes. Surprisingly, this isn't the first SCP I've covered that features an anomalous snowstorm blanketing the world, but this one differs quite a bit in its cruelty. Sure, the Foundation didn't actively cause this situation, but they didn't work to stop it and now they're participating in the murder and torture in order to keep humanity afloat. 
As usual, the ends justify the means for the Foundation. Even if those means involve the genocide of one species to save another.